Well, if you would open your Bibles to John chapter 11, I didn't know we were going to this chapter when I got this thing before, but um, as I was praying and meditating on it, this is the one that came to us, and you'll see we're talking about the factory of fear or faith, that we are made to produce. God made us to produce things. God made us to, to bring things into being. We like to go to, we go to work and we build things. We go to work and we accomplish things. We go to work and we, uh, things happen because we're made to do things. We put our mind, we put our body to work and things come out from that. But folks, your spirit is also made to produce and it is now producing. What it produces depends on some things and that's what we're going to look in here, uh, look into here. Today, if you would open up in your Bibles to John chapter 11, some of the things we had looked at here before, we saw that our routine can produce a revelation, and that revelation will then produce a response from us. But our routine can also produce a ritual in which we just begin to do the things because we've done them. But in our ritual, in the things that we do, and rituals are not bad. We, did you do some thinking on, on that? Have you gone back into the Bible? You know, beside Daniel, beside Moses, there's some other people had some great rituals or great uh, routines that didn't become ritual that God could speak to them out of that. And revelation would come. And when revelation would come, it needs a response from you. When you respond to it, things happen. Then you get a return. But you see, we've all fallen to ritual. We can be resisting God because we've gotten into pride. So what we want to do is identify our good routines. And keep them going, identify the bad ones, and get rid of them. We saw the woman who was in bondage last week. She didn't want it. God didn't want it. But until somebody acted against it, nothing happened. But she had a routine of showing up in the synagogue. She had gotten so beaten down, even though she probably heard that Jesus was coming, she didn't have, it doesn't say anything about her faith to be healed. It just says she was there. And Jesus called her out. He was mad at the crowd because they were saying that she shouldn't, she shouldn't be healed. But he went ahead and healed her. We looked at this and said that even though in order for us to be loosed from what we are bound to, someone or something must come against it. You've got to come against the thing that you're bound to. Otherwise, it's going to keep bound, binding you. You're going to continue to be bound to it. It won't change. What the enemy wants us to do is to think on loss. How many times has he done this to you? I'm going to put you in bondage. This is going to happen. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your money. You're going to lose your health. You're going to lose your life. You're going to lose these relationships. Something is always coming in. He's always talking about loss. Where in the Bible does God talk about loss that he does not first pinpoint disobedience? But if God ever pinpoints disobedience, he always gives you enough time to escape judgment. Always. If God shows up about correction, He's giving you time to, to correct the thing. And don't get in fear. We talked about that last time. That sometimes, you know, we see bad things happen to other people and we think, well, that could happen to me. And the devil begins to think, well, what if that does happen to you? What do you lose? Gets us to focus on loss. Loss gets us to be afraid. Once we become afraid, we're a fertile ground for the enemy to do things to us. But we see that she was bound. God doesn't do the bondage. It's Satan. Satan is the one who does that. And Jesus came to set them free from that. 
Don't be afraid of your routines. Don't be afraid of, well, I, I read the Bible all, every day. I pray every day. And you should pray every day. But I, I do like what Smith Wigglesworth said about prayer. I, I really enjoyed that. He said that people came up to him and said, how long do you pray? He says, I don't know. I don't think it's ever longer than, I forget what number, he's put a 10, 15 minutes, five minutes, something like that, he, he said. He's, and there was every shock. That's all you pray? He says, yeah, but I don't let more than five minutes go between prayers. <laughs> so sometimes we get the misunderstanding that the, um, we got the wrong idea of what prayer ought to be. Prayer is not just a time that you go into your room. God should always be around you. You should always be conversing with him. But in John chapter 11, it says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. How many remember Martha, Mary and Martha? Good, because we're going to have to refer back to a story about them. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified through it. It does not mean that sickness comes from God to give God glory. Sickness comes to put people in bondage, to take things away from people. But God can get glory out of what the devil intends for evil. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I don't know what the significance of that is, but how is it that Mary's not mentioned? Jesus loved Martha and her sister. And Lazarus. Now, if I'm going to mention one of these two, I'm mentioning Mary. <laughs> but I don't, I don't know what that's about yet. But you can put that in your meditator and see if you come up with anything. Of course, Jesus didn't say Mary or Martha, Lazarus, and the sister. Who, who wrote that? And John's the disciple that Jesus, because he always reminds us about that. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. You are going there again. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in a day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, O friend Lazarus, our, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. See, some people just don't get it. You just got to be real plain with them. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe, nevertheless let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. Now, what's the expectation of the disciples? They're going to go and die. Now, if you've been around here for a while, you know the, the ins and outs about this, but just go over it again for you quickly. Jesus is not waiting four days so that Lazarus will die and we have a greater miracle. Jesus was just in this town and they tried to kill him. And he escaped and left. And when they saw that Lazarus, a friend of Jesus, was sick, they figured he would come back into town to heal him. And so what their plan more than likely was, and there's enough evidence that to certainly indicate that this was the case, was when he came into town and came into the city, they were ready for him at the gate. And they were going to stone him. 
So this being, Jesus being aware of this didn't go. Remember he said in the passage, he said, there's 12 hours in the day. Walk in the day so you don't stumble. Why he's saying that? Because God has shed light on the things that the enemy wants to have you stumble. Stumble upon. So he didn't go. And eventually he died. And uh, he was he was dead and they buried him. He was dead four days. That's a long time for Jesus to get there. Four days he's dead. And so then Jesus comes to to uh, to heal him. Well, the idea, the whole plot of this was we need to take care. We need to take get Jesus as soon as he comes into town before he does any miracle. And then we can just take him out and stone him. And that was their idea. That was their plan. And even after he didn't come, they figured he might still come within the first day, second day and third day. But if you read over the story, it's constantly emphasized that he was dead four days. And even afterwards, they keep saying, we've never seen anybody raise anybody from the dead after four days. And the reason they keep emphasizing four days is because not the Bible, but the Jewish people believed that the spirit hovered around the body for three days. That if, it, the, if uh, they were resurrected, that they would come back into the body and, and just be able to resurrect. But at the fourth day, the, the spirit would go on to be in heaven. Or wherever it was going. And that therefore you couldn't raise them up. That was their belief. It's not Bible. The Bible doesn't teach it. Jesus didn't teach it. It's their belief. So this trap that was set probably stayed for the first day. The second day. Even the third day. Thinking that he might come back and raise people. Raise them from the life. Uh, back to life. Because he has done this. But after the third day. On the fourth day. Well it's the fourth day. Surely he's not coming anymore. And so they disperse the trap. Then Jesus comes in on the fourth day, doesn't even enter the city. They all meet him outside. They go outside to where the tomb is. They go to the tomb, raise him up after the fourth day. Now the city is a buzz. Jesus has raised somebody from the dead on the fourth day. They keep talking about on the fourth day. Have you ever seen it? On the fourth day. (laughs) That's why they keep emphasizing it. Now, how are you going to take somebody out and stone, stone him dead after that? So now he can walk right amongst his enemies and he's safe. Because he walked according to the day. But the disciples, they sense the danger well enough. Let's go and die with them. Well, we're talking about factories of of faith or fear. What have they been producing? (laughs) So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the woman around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Doesn't that have suspicion? Why weren't you here? Why why didn't you come? I mean, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. We're in this mess because... You weren't here. When you're trying to be nice to somebody, they came to the funeral and all. But if you had been, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Now, I put these some things here in your outline for you. I want you to get hold of. The enemy wants to get into our thinking. God wants to get into your thinking. If you think on good things, as the Bible says... Think on good things, 
Meditate on these things. Be anxious for nothing. All the things the word says. If you do that, you will produce faith. You will. You will produce faith. If you think on bad things, become anxious, worry, you will not produce faith. You will produce fear. You will produce doubt. You will produce all this other stuff that you don't want. At least you say you don't want it. You will produce it. The enemy wants to get into your thinking. Here's how he does it. He wants to get you to doubt the intentions of others. So what happens is you begin to observe things that happen and in your mind thoughts come why they did it. You're over there at your desk, minding your own business, doing work, and all of a sudden you see somebody over there glance your way and then look down. And what happens? Why'd they look over here at me? And the thought comes, they don't think you're working very hard and they're preparing a report to give to your boss to get you fired. Why they want me fired? What did I ever do to that person? And thoughts begin to, to swirl and you begin to resent this person. What happened? What did they do? Well, think back when you were, if you had brothers and sisters, you're in the backseat of the car. And, you, you know, the, the fight starts up. And what happens? So, you know, Mom, he touched me. <laughs> Mom, he's looking at me. And then, of course, we always go up. I didn't touch you. <laughs> right? You get as close as like, I didn't touch. I'm not touching you. <laughs> and we try to aggravate each other. and We do stuff like this. And, you know, that's the, but that's what happens. The devil wants to take all these things that are happening around you and make you think stuff. And tell you stuff. Tell you things. He wants to get you to doubt the intentions of others. Why did Jesus stay away? What purpose did Jesus have? I mean, he came. He made the trip. Why did he stay away? And you begin to doubt the intentions of others. Here's the second one. You distrust the actions of others. You see some things they do. Why did they do it that way? How come they didn't do this for me? They got so-and-so coffee. They didn't get me coffee. How come they didn't get me coffee? Well, you don't drink coffee. So? Would have been nice if they would have got me some coffee. <laughs> they don't know I don't drink coffee. You know, these kind of things go on. And you, you begin to... Judge the actions of others. We doubt the intentions of others. We distrust the, the actions of others. Here's the third one. We assume a wrong conclusion. Have you ever assumed a wrong conclusion about somebody? We all have. We all have assumed wrong conclusions about other people. Because we saw actions. We saw things happen. And we decided on their intentions. We decided on what they actually meant to do. We distrust. We Doubt, we, all, all these thoughts come in. I assume a wrong conclusion. Now, here's the big one. Here's the big one. Discuss these with like-minded people. You discuss these with like-minded. You find people that are like-minded and you discuss it with them. Because if they're not like-minded and you discuss it, they shut it down. So you go find somebody else. <laughs> Got to go find somebody else. We discuss this with like-minded people. And here's the final one. Act in a negative way toward others. You act in a negative way toward other people. Now Martha right now is acting in a negative way towards Jesus. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again in verse 23. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, 
who is to come into this world. Now, some of these, you really can't find too much fault with what Martha is saying until you understand what it is that she's saying. You've got to understand her intention here. When Jesus came to him, came, came to her, Lord, if, in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. Whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. That is, that is not a faith statement. Nor is this. Let me find the other one here for him. Um, uh, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus, she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that, that you are the Christ. That you are the son of God who is coming to this world. So she's saying all these nice things, but it's about the future. It's all about the future. I know that he will rise again. I know that we know that these things will happen, but they're future. Jesus has let her down presently. You all can pick that up, right? Martha is disappointed that Jesus didn't come. Jesus let her down. But what she's saying is basically this. You tell me if this is not right, rewarding Martha's words this way. Jesus, you let me down by not coming, but I'm going to be the bigger person and I'm still going to believe the word of God. (laughs) Is she not saying something like that? I'm not going to let your inaction here, let my brother die. Cause me to disbelieve in God. I'm still going to believe in God despite your failure. Do you, would you talk to the Son of God like that? I don't think I would. I hope I would. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. Now, we didn't have anything that Jesus called for her, but more than likely he did, and he told her to do it secretly. Because we don't want word to get out. So she comes in secretly and tells her sister, he's calling for you. So they can all get outside the city and they can all go over to the tomb and get this thing done before people find out that Jesus is here. The teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out following her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Because they didn't know because she said it secretly. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Why does that sound strangely familiar? (laughs) When two people... Think, think back, how many of all like cop shows? You know, CSI, NCIS, stuff like that. Whenever they get witnesses, and the witnesses have exactly the same statement, what do they always tell you? They've rehearsed it. They've corroborated this story. They've worked it out together, and they're both telling us the same thing. And they immediately distrust it. Because people don't normally respond this way to things. That's just not normally the way they do. Now, one of the news uh, things I like to listen to, they, uh, they have a great time. They, they, uh, they call it a montage they put together. And what happens is, every time that, that a news story breaks, every single news outlet uses the same words. It is amazing how much... I mean, we're not talking three or four. We're talking 10, 15... 20 different news sources 
all use the same word. It started back, the first time I ever heard of Dunn was back when Vice President Cheney was selected as Bush's running mate. And they all used this word. I'd never even heard of it before. He has gravitas. I never even heard the word before. But they, 15, 20 news agencies picked up this word, he has gravitas. The next day. It's not like they heard somebody else say it and then they all picked up on the word. They all had it the next day. You'll find it even today. They, 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 they do this. It's like there is a central news spot that sends out word. This is what we're saying. And they all pick up on it. But here you got two sisters who come out and they have exactly the same thing. It means they discussed it. What were they discussing? As they're boohooing and crying because their brother died, right? You know, if Jesus would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. I know. Why wasn't Jesus here? I don't know why he wasn't here. He should have been. He's not that far away. We sent people to him. They got there. They told him. They came back. They arrived before he died. Why didn't Jesus come with them? I don't know why Jesus didn't come. Why couldn't Jesus have taken the time to come? If only he would have come, he wouldn't have died. I know it. If only he would have come, he wouldn't have died. Can you see the conversation? And then Jesus is here. Jesus is here? Yeah. She goes on out to see him. To see him. And what did she say? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. <sighs> now, of the two, Mary and Martha, which one is the, to you, which one is the faith person? We don't have a whole lot of stories with her, but all the stories we have show us with Mary being the faith person and Martha being the busy one. Remember, Jesus is in the house. Martha's in the kitchen. Where's, where's Mary? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus says she's chosen the better things. Mary's the one who comes on in and, and serves uh, Jesus. And she, The faith things are always on Mary's side, it seems to be. So, Mary's sitting there listening. And really, both of them should have been in to listen. They would have been better equipped to face what they, they did, but they still weren't quite there. So Mary was in the room. She's getting faith. Mar Martha's in the kitchen. She's not. Lesson to learn here. Mary was the faith person. Faith people can be pulled down by doubters. Faith people can be pulled down by doubters. Mary is on the exact same level as Martha is, saying the exact same things and having the same reaction. Even though of the, the two, she seems to be the faith, more the faith person. So how to get married, you get pulled down to this. Put this in your, your outline for you. Write this in there. Doubt discussions. They had doubt discussions. Discussions of doubt. Now you'll have these with people too. People want to come along and sow doubt in discourse into your life. Not just unsaved people. Believers, people who go to church, people who read their Bibles, people who pray to God, who can talk Christianese, who have all the lingo down. These people will come into your area and just like on the Star Trek series, your shields are down. You know, if they were Klingons, Romulans, your shields would be up. But they're not. They're friendlies. And so your shields are down. And you begin to have a discussion. It's a doubt discussion. 
And they come in and they begin to sow doubt into you about someone who up till then was doing good in your life. Friend, boss, spouse, children, whoever it might be. And they come in and they begin to sow discord into that area. Now, a lot of times they just kind of feel it out. They just kind of throw something out there to see if there's anything. Out. This is what you do when you go fishing. When you go fishing, you put a bait on the line. You put a you know, worm, whatever it is that the fish uh, like to bite, the lure. Throw it on out there. We're just seeing, you know, are they biting? Now, if a fisherman, a good fisherman, I am not a good fisherman. I'm not even a modest fisherman. I could not even be considered a beginner fisherman. I know how to do it. I know how to do the hooks. I know how to get the hooks out of the mouth. I've done it enough times that I can do all that. But I am nowhere near even an expert, amateur, or anything else like that. I've seen people who are very good at it. I think I told you the story, but when I was at camp one time, the best person I ever saw fishing, this guy just, he just, he was like the fish whisperer. He was incredible. He, um, he was showing a camper. He was a counselor. He was showing a camper how to cast a fishing line because they had never fished before. Before they got out into the boats, because the only boats we had at this camp were canoes. You don't want to do a whole lot of learning in a canoe. You will go, you'll tip over if you've not been in one of those. So they're in a the canoe. They're going to go fishing. So they're showing them this is how you cast, showing them how to do it. And as he's showing them how to cast and casting the thing out, a fish bites the line. He reels it in. It ends up being the biggest fish ever caught in that lake. Ever. The biggest fish. And he's just practicing. Just showing them how to. That's how good he was. I was out in the boat with him one time. And he just said, you know, that looks like there's fish over there. That's what he said. Looks like there's fish over there. Takes his rod. Throws it out over there. One cast. Starts reeling it in. Sure enough, there was a fish. It was a little tiny one, about six, eight inches. It wasn't very big. Oh, that's nothing. He doesn't even take it off the lure. He takes it and throws it back out and reels it back in. A bigger, on the next one, a bigger fish swallows the little fish that he had. And he caught that one. That's how good he, I'm not making these stories up. I was totally flabbergasted at how this man could fish. He was a fisher. But you know, when you are of that that uh, mindset, you take a lure and you throw it in and you, you cast it a few times. After a little while, whatever a little while is to the experts, if it's not happening, you know, you know, you know what you do? You change the lure, you change the uh, bait, whatever it is, you, you go and you do something else. You ever uh, see that show that's on TV called River Monsters? My wife detests that show. I have to record it and watch it at a time when she's not in the room because it's it's, it's, um, it, it can be a scary show. You know, I don't know why people don't want to go in the ocean. Stay out of the fresh water. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you can't see them in the fresh water. At least in the salt water, you can see them coming up. You know what kind is there. But anyway, this guy, he just, he jumps into places, catches stuff. He's going to catch things that have just killed somebody. Well, let's go catch one. Let's just see what it's like. <laughs> Out there, gonna, he's a nut. He's an expert. Expert at fishing. I'll tell you, he's an expert at fishing. But, but you know, when you are an expert at fishing, and these people who have these doubt conversations, they are expert fishermen. Just think of them this way. They throw a little bait out there, and they throw something. 
Just something to throw a little distrust into the situation to see if you'll bite. That's all they want to do, just to see if you'll bite. And if you bite, oh, I've been thinking that. I was wondering about that. Sometimes we even say they got it from God. And you know why? You know what you got to do? Is God going to sow something into someone else to bring into your life and bring distrust? Doubt. Worry. Fear. Is that the God you serve? But see, these people will do that. And they put that little bait out there. And if you bite hold, oh, this is, this is good. This bait worked. They throw out more. They throw out more. If you don't take hold of it, you know what they do? Let's change this out. Maybe we, let's try and get something on this one. All right, we didn't get anything over at work. Let's try neighbors. See if we can get you in on anything with your neighbors. You seen that neighbor over there? They seem weird to me. I know what you mean. They seem weird to me. I thought it was just me. Do they really seem weird to you too? They sure do. Do you notice how they... Yeah. I mean, who does that? <laughs> and we begin to have this discussion. Now, the next time you see that neighbor, what's your, what's your attitude towards them? It's changed, isn't it? Because someone has brought this in. This is how they, this is how they work. All right. Now, we, we said we were going to do all this for a purpose. So Mary came, fell down at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I'm going to read the rest from the screen because I didn't put it in my outline. I'm looking for it and it's not there. Verse 33. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. It doesn't say sad. It says troubled. And he said, where have you laid them? Relate him. They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept, it says. Shortest verse in the Bible. You're all familiar with that. Jesus is not weeping because he is sad. Oh, I've lost a friend. He is troubled at what's going on here with these folks. He's seen how easily they have been manipulated, how easily they were taken from faith into this place of doubt, into this place of distrusting him very quickly. And these were not just novice. These were good. These were people that Jesus was drawn to. Jesus is not just drawn to anyone. He's drawn to faith people. And these are strong faith people that were pulled down. Go on to 36. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. Why they say that? Because they're clueless. Just like most people. Most people cannot read the signs. Just can't, they can't read the signs. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? These are the same kind of people who have been talking to Mar Martha, talking to Mary. And talk to you. Well, how come if Jesus loves you, he lets that happen? 38, Jesus again groaning in himself came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha, the sister of him who was dead and said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe you would see the glory of God? They, then they took her or took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. What that tells you is Jesus, in order to raise Lazarus from the dead, does not even need to say one word of prayer to the Father. 
He is only making the prayer to the Father that loud so that everyone around him hears. Because we see where they are. Couldn't this man have healed him? Lord, if you would have come. All right, go on. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now, in today's society, in today's churches, if we were to do the same thing 30 minutes later, we would have been done calling him out. Right? Three words. Today, we'd be rebuking, in the name of Jesus, right now, I command life. I command, I rebuke death. I, we're just going all over the town. We're trying to hit something. We're just trying to hit a nail on the head. No, if I hit something, maybe the power of God. What? Three words. Lazarus, come forth. Now, take a look at what Jesus says. There is some truth inside this we need to get hold of. Because have you ever heard it taught in the Word? Call those things that be not as though they were. Most Christians do not do that. We do not call those things that be not as though they were. We call those things that be as if they were not. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever tell us to call those things that be as though they were not. What do I mean? I am not in pain. I do not have pain. I am not sick. I do not have a heart problem. Don't we do that? We call those things that be as though they're not. And we're not faith people in doing that. We are very much tied into what's going on in the natural. Jesus never tells us to do that. He says to call those things that be not as though they were. We're focusing on what is, not what can be. We can get a hold of that truth, folks. Change the way we, we talk about stuff. Lazarus, come forth. He does not rebuke death. Does not deal with any of the condition that Lazarus is in. He does not even deal with the sickness that took his life. Does he? All he does is, Lazarus, come forth. You could spend less time calling those things that be not as though they were and have greater success than you will calling those things that be as though they were not. But you see, we're not, we're not hearing the things that we need to hear. As much as we... We're not, we're not hearing what, what is always being said. Now, I put a, a little diagram in there for you. And um, it didn't quite work out the way I wanted. I don't have the, the picture software to really do this thing up well. And so I just took it as it was. It, it needs to be, be bigger, but... And change, but anyway, it's there. It gives you an idea what this is. In order for us to produce, you see the production there at the bottom. In order for us to produce, things come in. We are a receiver. First off, in order for a factory to produce stuff, it must receive. If you're going to produce cars, you got to receive steel. You got to receive paint. You got to receive fabric. You got to receive all the things that are into the car. You got to bring them in. If you are going to become a factory for faith, you must receive. Faith things. There's a number of different sources you can get and just have one arrow coming in or however you want to do it, but it's going to come from many different places. One of the sources that we have is the Word of God. you got plenty of room up above that to, to write in all sorts of stuff. We're going to write in about six or seven things. But the Word. The Word is something that comes to us. The Spirit is another one. 
that comes to it. The Spirit of God speaks things to us. There's the five-fold ministry gifts that God has put into the body to equip the body. They are ones that we receive from. There are family. There are friends. There are professionals. Don't we receive some things from professionals? The doctor comes and gives you tests. Does he not come and give you a report? That's a professional report. We have professionals that come in and they give us things. They give us reports. They give us stuff that's, that's going on, stuff that's happening. These all come in. Just because they come from these sources does not mean it is faith. And I include all those sources. Even though it came from the word, it does not mean it's, it's feeding you faith. Because a lot of times, folks, we hear it wrong. We do not hear what it said. Just in the case that I gave you. Call those things that be not as though they were. And we got Christians all over rebuking the things that are around them. I command pain to go. I am not in pain. Or, you know, the real, the real great uh, ones that I, don't, I haven't heard this as much. But, you know, people got so caught up on their confession that they went to the doctor. Well, what's wrong? Nothing. You had to try and pull it out of them. You know, what's, why did why, you come to me? Well... My back doesn't hurt. They're trying to talk in this code language to get this thing. You don't have to do that. Abraham did not have to say, you know what, I am young. He didn't have to do that. It's a... Nope, we don't got to do those things. Call those things that be not as though they were. It's not the same thing as denying everything that's around you in your confession. We don't need to... We don't need to get into that. But those are the things, some of the things we have. We have the Word, the Spirit, our fivefold friends, professionals, relatives, saints. All these folks are coming in. But just because they're saints, just because they're uh, fivefold, just because whatever it is, doesn't mean that they're going to feed you faith. You've got to discern is this a good thing? Is this faith filled? Is this something that is helping me? This is, these are things we've got to figure out. What's going on with this? So these are the inputs. These are the things that are going to come in and feed your factory. Make sure that they're free of doubt. Make sure that they, when they come in, that they don't have all that stuff going on. Brother Jolly tells us about his, uh, his job every now and then. And, um, you know, how his, when they, in customs, he's got to inspect stuff to make sure that certain things don't get in. He's got uh, how many uh, citations did you get for good things? Two, three things that, I mean, big, big deals that he stopped from coming into the country, found them, and they were able to eradicate them, get them out of the, out of the way. Glory to God. No, a, we don't want that to come in because once it comes in, I mean, like those stink bugs. They're not supposed to be here. We got some fish that got released into our, our uh, systems that are eating up the, the fish we like. And um, it's, it's, I think in some places it's actually illegal that if you catch one, not to kill it. I don't know how they're going to enforce that, but it's actually illegal. I think what is the snakehead is one of them. There's also some uh, Asian carp, I think it is, or something like that. Uh, these things are intruding on our, our waterways. But when we have these inputs that come in, we've got to, to do some things with them to make sure that they're, that they're right. Those inputs are some of the most important things in your life. And what the devil wants to do is he's going to come in and he's going to try and cut off the good ones. Replace them 
with bad ones. That's what he wants to do. He wants to cut off the friends that are helping you and replace them with friends that will bring you down. He wants to cut off your avenues for the word and replace it with ones that aren't going to help you. He wants to cut off your contact with the Holy Spirit and get you in contact with another. This is what he wants to do. He wants to replace these things. He'll do them one at a time. Each one he takes away, he weakens you. Don't let him do it. God does not sow things into your mind to cause you to distrust other people or to become in fear of them. God does not want you to fear of any man. So if that comes in for that way, it's obviously wrong. If God is showing you something, don't have discussions. Go to that person. If he hasn't shown you enough to, to go to that person, just leave it alone. But just understand the tactics of the enemy. God does not come in and begin to sow discord between people. That's the enemy. So if discord is being sown, guess what source it came from? Cast it out. Get rid of it. You know, when my wife and I, we've dealt with people. They have friends, supposedly friends. And we've talked to them about it. You need to get those people out of your life. They are hurting you. They are pulling you down. Yeah, but we think we can help them. No, you are not helping them. They're not receiving help from you. All they're doing is pulling you down and taking from you. Cut them off. Get rid of them. Yeah, but if we do, no one else is going to help them. I, I heard somebody in the Old Testament who said something just like that. Lord, I'm the only one. What did the Lord say to Elijah when he said that? <laughs> you think you're the only one? I got 7,000 ready to take your spot right now. In fact, you know what? Go out there and anoint Elisha. He's going to take your spot. He went out there and anointed Elisha. Take his spot. You are not the only one. Who sows that kind of thought? Comes from the enemy. Because he wants to keep you tied to that because he knows that's an anchor. That is an anchor. I am slowing you down from the things that you can do because of that person in your life. So we're going to do everything we can to keep them attached. What does Jesus do if someone does not receive from Jesus? He went on to somebody else. What did he teach his disciples to do if they don't receive the ministry that you have? What should you do? Keep on trying. Just get in there and keep on trying. If they still don't receive it, get in there and try again. In fact, ignore all the places that are receiving you and just focus on that one that will not receive. Put all your time into that one. Put all your resources into that one who won't receive because you're the only one who's going to reach them. Is that God? Is that in the Bible? What's he say? Shake off, a, shake off the dust on your feet as a sign unto them. Let them see it. In other words, see this? <laughs> That's you. I'm getting rid of you from my life. I don't even want your dust on my shoes. I'm moving on. Uh, Brother Hagen told us a story of one of his uh, relatives. And um, he, he, just, he just was, he was bad. He was just a bad one. And he kept uh, coming up to Brother Hagen. You know, Brother Hagen, pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. And finally, Brother Hagen said, nope, not going to do it. What do you mean? You have to pray for me. No, I'm not, not going to do it. not going to pray for you anymore. That so shook him that it didn't take him a week or two until he got right. 
You're so shook up by that. Brother Hagin won't pray for me anymore. <laughs> Sometimes you need to shake some people up. You need to get them, uh, get them going. Because as long as you stay there, they're just hanging on. The devil's using it to pull you down. You're not helping them out at all. Get rid of the bad. Keep the good. That's the whole thing that we need to do. All right, you got two lines there in the middle of that circle. Once you get all these inputs, there are two things that happen. First thing that happens is meditation. We think on the things that we let in. Brother Hagin used to always teach us, you cannot stop a bird flying over your head, but you can sure stop it from making a nest. You can't stop what the devil's going to throw at you is for thoughts, but you can stop from meditating on them. Keep thinking on the good things. But what happens? Someone comes along and they sow in distrust. They sow in turmoil. And we begin to think on these things instead of what the Lord said to think on, which is good things. 1 Corinthians 13. Believe the best. Hope. Love hopes all things. All the things that love does. And we go against it whenever we meditate on these things. And the enemy knows if I can get you to meditate on this, then you hit the next step. Meditation leads to belief. Meditation will lead to belief. And that's what he wants to get you to. Meditation is what you think on. Beliefs are what you have concluded. You've come to the conclusion that this is true. It doesn't matter whether it is or not. Ethel was talking about that today with the receipt. People can hear that and people will come to a belief that this is what was intended. It may not have been. As she was uh, pointing out. But certainly that uh, doesn't matter. We've adopted that belief. Once it's belief, that's what I've concluded. But it comes from what I have thought on. There's meditations and there are beliefs. Meditations are what you think on. Beliefs are what you have concluded. Once you have reached a conclusion, you then are ready for production. There's three areas of production. First one's over on the left-hand side. Just write in the word do. These are things that you do. The first thing that you will see are the things you do. Now, the things you do, I'm classifying these as actions for or on behalf of yourself. Why do you go to work? Because I need money. I want them to pay me. That's something that you do for yourself to support your family and so forth. The things that you benefit from, things that you do. Middle one, things that you give. These are actions toward other people. There's things that we do. There's things that we give. Third one is the things that we say. Three areas of production. The things that we do, the things that we give, the things that we say. The things that we say are creative words formed by our beliefs. I speak creative words formed by my beliefs. Jesus had a belief. Out of that belief, he said, Lazarus, come forth. Because in him was faith production. He meditated on the right things. He believed the right things. And when he got up and he spoke, he said creative things. He told us to say creative things. We oftentimes do. I know I'm going to get sick. That's creative words. Why do you say that? Because I believe I, I always get sick. Ask people that. Why do you say Because I always get sick. Whenever something goes around, I get it. Have you ever heard that from people? These are creative words. They are saying what is in their belief. What's, the things that you believe are things you're going to say. And those words have power. And they can create stuff. 
when, when unfortunately, they're creating a lot of bad things. Don't let it happen that way. There's our outputs. What we do, what we give, and what we say. If the enemy can corrupt what is coming in to your faith factory, he can get you to meditate on the wrong things, get you to believe the wrong things, therefore you will do the wrong things, you will give the wrong things, and you will say the wrong things. And inside you have produced fear, you have produced doubt, and you have turmoil, you have anguish, you have no peace. Because that's what has been produced. But if you think on the good things, and you do what the Word of God says, that won't happen. But you see, when you, when you pull up those good things, when, you, when those good things are coming to you, you've got to be attentive to them. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. Y'all should know this by, by heart. My son, attend to my words. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Pull up the next verse. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Is that not just the picture we painted for you right here? Out of you will flow the issues of life if you keep your heart. That's that center part. That's that meditation and belief. You keep your heart. What will flow out of you will be good. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. But he says, my son, attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Keep them before your eyes. You've you got you to have them right here, right in front of your... I've got to be looking at them. They've got to be in my meditation. They've got to be in... I've got to keep meditating on these things. This is what I need to do. If I let go for a second and pull in those other things, I've just polluted the whole area. Polluted the whole thing. You can't do it. You can't have... You, you've got to guard it. You've got to protect it. And you will produce great stuff. The reason we don't have faith to do the things we need to do is because we haven't been producing it. You can produce all the faith that you need. God has given you a measure of faith and you can go from there and produce lots more. But you've got to stay with it. You've got to keep going. Listen to what he says. Many times your boss has told you something, someone has told you a thing to do, and you thought you heard it. But it wasn't quite right. No, your wife says, pick up for me some milk, some bread, and get you a list about four of things. And you get over to the store and you, did she say cereal? And you're trying to think, what, what is it? What, what, what was it that you, I don't know, sometimes I have to call back, what is it that you wanted? <laughs> you forgot it. Already, a lot of times you just say, now, now in this day, and you just say, just uh, text me. Because <laughs> then I, yeah, that's it. Okay. <laughs> you just go in there and you can, you can pull that off. Be attentive. Be, what has God said? When God has said it, what do you do? You be attentive. Yeah, but I already did that. No, 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 no. The disciples were not attentive to the words of Jesus all the years he was there. All the years he was there, they were not attentive. How much did the disciples miss? 
Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Man, we forgot to bring bread. I can't believe he's yelling at us because we forgot to bring bread. Jesus says, what? That's what you get out of this? Jesus says to him, the Son of Man is going to suffer many things, be beaten, be crucified, and killed, buried, and on the third day rise again. He said it to him over and over and over and over. Peter was so mindful of it, he rebuked him for teaching it. Jesus, before he gets to Jerusalem, a week before, he goes over it all with them. Before he's ready to walk into Jerusalem, he pulls them all aside. Now, look, this is what's going to happen. We're going to go into the city. They're going to, they're going to capture me. They're going to arrest me. They're going to beat me. They're going to put me up on a, cruc- on, a, on a cross. I will die. On the third day, I'll rise again. You got it? Yeah, 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 we got it. Not seven days later, they have forgotten. Seven days later, they have forgotten. And they're all going around. It's the third day. It's the third day. Remember Jesus walking with the two guys? Why are you so sad? Don't you know what's going on? And today, it's the third day. They all know it's the third day. What happens on the third day? Jesus said on the third day, I will rise again. They should be excited, but they didn't hear it. Be attentive to the words that God has said. You got to know that when Jesus said it, I don't have it all down yet. I need to go over it again. I need to go over it again. I don't know how many times I've read through the New Testament. I've lost count. I know when I graduated from high school, I read through the entire Bible five times, cover to cover, by the time I graduated from high school. I do not know how many times I read it. I stopped counting after that. I don't count it anymore. I just keep reading it, keep reading it, keep reading it, because there's still more in it. I still do not know. I know far more of what I don't know. Because every time I read it, it says, oh, I don't know this yet. I've I got to figure out what that is. I don't know this yet. There's so much more we don't know. We can keep on studying this Bible for a long, long time and still not get it all because his words are that deep. When he speaks to us, be attentive. When he, what did he say to me before? I don't need him to say it to me again. What did you, I need to go over. What did he say to me before? I just need to go over it again. Jesus, this is what you said. This is what you said. Some of the people are out there, I need God to speak a word to me that I know I'm on the right path, that I'm known. No, what's his word promise you? His word promised me this. Then meditate on that. Meditate on that. The enemy's trying to sell you that you're going to lose this. What has God promised you? Well, God promised me that. Well, then meditate on that. Why meditate on what the enemy's throwing at you? That's going to produce fear. It's going to produce doubt. The faith producers are what the promises of God are. What has God promised you? Focus in on that. Meditate on that. But it's not happening. (laughs) How does God put up with us? I do not know. I do not know. How long did Abraham wait? How long did Joseph wait? How long did Moses wait? People waited a long time. We wait a month. We think we did good. Stay with it. Keep going with it. All right, here at the end. Identify those good and bad sources. Understand, if you have good sources in your life, the enemy is after them. He's trying to get you to distrust them. He's trying to get you cut off from them. He's trying to get you to wipe them out. First thing, guard against negative meditations. That's where your guard has to be. If you guard the negative meditations, you will automatically guard the false beliefs. Guard the negative meditations. And continue in beneficial outputs. Continue in things that are good. What things are good to do? 
what things are good to give, what things are good to say. Keep focusing on those things. Those, that's your output. That's your production. Every time that you say something that's based in faith, look at it. I just produce some stuff. I am producing. How did that, where'd that come from? It came from my factory. And my factory's working. It's working. It's producing. If your car is working right, you get in it, it produces transportation. Right? That means your car's working right. If your car gets you from one place to another, it means your car's working. That's what you want. You want the car to work. You put the right gas in it. You put the right stuff in it. You don't put something up. Well, I don't have any gas. How about if I put this in it? And that won't work. We've got to put the right stuff. We've got to acquire the right stuff. Maybe gasoline's a little bit tough to get, but we've got to acquire the right thing. You've got to acquire the right thing to keep your faith factory going. It will continue to produce faith. You will continue to operate under authority, and you will continue to have authority. And when you need to tap into the power of God, revelation will come to you. That's what I need to do. If I just touch the hem of his garment, I know I shall be made whole. I know it. That revelation came to her one day. She did not have that all her life. came to her one day. When she got it, she acted on it. Many other times we, we looked at in the Word of God. Still more on this. We'll get more into this uh, as we get going. Would you all stand up with me? This morning we have our time to remember that Jesus came into this earth, died on the cross for our sins, was raised to life so that we could be raised to life. And he said to his disciples on that dinner before he was betrayed, the Last Supper as it's called, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me, he said. And so we go over it each time we do this. Because he said, do it. Beginning of supper, he took the bread and he broke it. He passed it around. And he said, this bread represents my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, remember. Because he knew that we would forget that salvation is not just for our spirit. It is also for our body. That his body was sacrificed so that our body wouldn't have sickness and disease. Our body would be brought to a place of health. After supper, he took the cup and he said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. The old covenant covered up sin. Oh, but the new covenant washes it away. We have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. You were bought with a price. Has everybody been served? Let's take the bread and let's remember. His body was beaten, was broken, was bruised for us. Let's eat together. the blood of Jesus there is nothing we need to add to salvation salvation is through the blood of Jesus not our own not our own good works there is nothing we can add to what Jesus has already done
he did on the cross finished it for us. When he was raised from the grave, the captives who were in Abraham's bosom came up with him. The word of God even tells us that some of them made appearances. And they said, hey, how you doing? We're leaving paradise. We're on our way to heaven. Just stop by to say hi. I don't know what they kind of things they said, but they said that some of them actually came by and visited on their way. When we die, we don't go to paradise. We now go to heaven. There's no holding spot anymore because the price has been paid. And we have been washed clean. And that's how our Father sees us. It's through the blood of Jesus. Let's drink together and remember. Father, we thank you for sending your son to die on the cross, a horrible death for us. You loved us that much that you would sacrifice your son. Father, forgive us for those times we've swallowed the lie that we are not valuable. We're not worth your time because you don't see it that way. We thank you for the love that you give us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Glory to God. Well, we have some praise reports. Anybody else need to get a praise report in? I do. I have a praise report. Um, my knee, this morning I was down here worshiping um, from the arthritis that they said I had in my knee. My, whenever I kneel like that, I, I'm always kind of lopsided. So after we got prayer this morning, I went over and I knelt down over there, and I don't think I was one-sided anymore. I can sit completely down, so my knee is definitely loosened up, so I praise God for that. Um, Marguerite says, I thank God for bringing me through a very difficult year <coughs> at work and also for receiving a raise and a bonus. Praise God. Amen. Um, Alyssa Nikolai says, we were able to pay off two bills this week, one six months early and one three months early. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Um, Daryl, this one actually was from last week. That I, I missed him how. He said he was, had an opportunity to minister to some family members. So he praises God for able, being able to do that. Um, Ara and Ento are so thankful for the blessing of having such a loving church family. Um, thankful for all your love and encouragement while our dad was in the hospital. He's out of the hospital now and is doing well. Praise God. Amen. <coughs> Ethel said, um, I, I'm thankful that I prepared my way before God prior to going out on Thursday. Because of the preparation, I was able to completely overcome some frustrations and treat people with love and kindness. <laughs> Amen. Now, this one is, is really awesome, too. Ento said, while driving back from Maryland on Tuesday, I realized that I was $1 short in money for the tolls to pay on I-95. It was very late, and I really did not want to find an alternate route um, since the toll route was the fastest. I needed $4 for that last toll, but I only had three um, and some change, but it was still not enough. So I decided to exit right before the last toll and find another route. <coughs> but I missed the exit, so at this point I just said, Lord, help me. I prayed that the person at the toll booth has some extra change to help me to make up the fourth dollar. So I got to the toll booth and reached out to give the, the three dollars, and I could not believe it. I was staring at four dollars <laughs> in my hand. So God miraculously added the fourth dollar. 
Um, the fourth dollar even felt and looked newer than the other three. That I had to pinch myself. And she said, how many times can you miscount three dollars? <laughs> Amen. Um, did you have anything else? Hmm? Yeah. You wanted to talk about the baskets too. Do you want to do that now? Prayer request. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, yeah, we can do that. Jim has having, if you can get Jim's notification, he is having surgery tomorrow. Uh, I haven't heard the time. Has to be there at 6.30 in the morning? I thought it was going to be coming in today. Uh, They're going to do a procedure to uh, remove one of the vertebrae the, the, because it's pinching the nerve or something like along those lines. So um, that's what they're out there to, to do. And that'll be going on tomorrow. Um, he, it is normally outpatient, I think he told me, but he's going to be in the hospital overnight because of some other conditions he has, and they just want to watch him and observe him. So that's what's going on there tomorrow. He's asking for a prayer, for the guidance on the surgeons, that they get everything that they're supposed to get and that everything is, is done accordingly. He's um, not here with us today because the pain is, is hard for him to, to drive that far, and he will be restricted on how far he can go. Uh, after that, for about six weeks, I think it is. Some of the number, is that right? Something like that. So, and, and Jennifer and Madison, um, I, I keep uh, swapping messages with them. It sounds like they're on their way up, and then uh, I guess they kind of went back down again. So she's been battling a fever and a uh, stomach bug. And uh, the last I heard, Madison was also uh, back with it as well. So uh, they're they're asking for prayer. So let's pray for all those right now. Father, we thank you for the wisdom that you give the doctors. I thank you, Father, for guiding their hands during the surgery, that you help them to see things that maybe they're not even looking for, but they need to see. I thank you that you will give them the wisdom, the understanding to take care of whatever it is that they see in there, that Jim, when he comes out of this, will not have this pain continue to recur. I thank you, Father, for the, the way that you answer our faith. I thank you, Father, that it's not your will at all that he be having these issues, that he enjoy these years as a grandpa and all the things that he has going on to do. And Father, we just pray for Jennifer and Madison. We just join our faith with theirs. Sickness has no place. No matter what kind of environment it is that she works in, no matter how much disease might be going around there or even at school, in Jesus' name, it will not come near us. That's what you said in your word. And Father, we thank you for those promises. And that sickness is gone in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I do have just a few announcements. On the back table here, um, there's some books and tapes and things like that that go along with the teaching that Pastor's been doing on uh, on faith and on healing. So if you're interested in any of those, they are $5 each. Just um, help yourselves to those. Also, the Easter baskets. If anybody's making an Easter basket, they are needed by next Sunday. I can't collect them any later than that because then Monday I have to deliver them down to the city. Um, also, anybody who has children who want to be a part of the um, all-nighter, I have uh, the permission slips tonight. They're actually next door. Um, and it's ages 9 through 15. So if you have any children or know any children who would like to be a part of it, I just need to know as quick as possible. Okay? That's it. Oh, you can come to my all-nighter, Mama. I'll let you come. <laughs> You're only 10 years old, right? <laughs> anyway, that's, that's all we have um, for announcements. Yep, they have the class, the Good Foundations class is going on right after uh, service. Well, about 1 o'clock we'll be back in here. You can just uh, go get something to eat and come on back here at about 1 o'clock. We are uh, going over the doctrine of Christ, basically. Basically, who is the Messiah? What's the Bible say about him? 
uh, things along those, those lines. So if you want to see what the Bible had to say about Jesus Christ, the ministry of Messiah, that's going on here today. One o'clock, we'll pick that up. Um, Wednesday night, we are, we're going to see the fall of Israel. The last king of uh, the northern tribes of Israel will take the throne uh, as we come to Second Kings chapter 17. And we're going to see what, what happens there. So one of the questions we're going to be looking to answer is uh, why were the northern tribes not preserved like the southern tribes were? The northern tribes are known as the lost tribes. They were dispersed and uh, they were not preserved. So why did that happen to the northern tribes when the, the southern tribes were disobedient too? They, were, uh, they fell into idolatry and they did some of the same things that the northern tribes did. So why is one preserved and one is not? So if that is a interesting topic for you, that's what we're going to be getting into on, on Wednesday. The next Sunday, the End Times class will be back. Uh, we will have some times that these classes will alternate. We're not going to get out of the rotation that we're in. Uh, there's uh, one time when the we have the salt meeting coming up, and I think another time where we have Resurrection Sunday. I don't know exactly what classes those affect, but whatever it is, we'll just skip that class that day and just keep the rotation going the way that it the way that it is, because some people are into, into the, the set pattern for that. We didn't want to uh, mess it up for for them, but anyway, that's, that's going on. We'll figure out what's going on. I didn't get this in your outline, your, your bulletins either. Next Sunday, glory to God, it is finally here. Daylight saving. Now I know you mean you lose an hour of sleep that this clock gets sent ahead, but from now on, it's going to be light an entire hour later than it is now. Isn't that great? I love daylight saving time. We could be on daylight saving time all year long, and I would be happy. But um, we're not. But next week, it all starts up again. So Saturday night, set your clocks ahead so that you get here to church on time.